You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. If you are awake, if you are alive, would love for you to join me in Acts chapter 26 this morning, uh, where we'll be picking up our study. Um, if you're just new here, we're usually making our way through whole books of the Bible from left to right. And, um, you know, the Bible Project, uh, to Mackey, those guys, you know, they, they had this quote one time on their podcast, you know, the scripture's a lot more, unfortunately, like a symphony than it is like a TikTok. And uh, it's just something that, that takes a little bit longer um, to wrestle with, takes a little bit longer for it to master us and, and work on us. It, it might take, um, you know, it might take years and years and years that that story of Jacob might mean something to you when you're 15, but then all of a sudden when you're 55, you realize that actually was saying a lot more to you than you ever realized when you first read it in the first place. And so that's why um, uh, here at, at the church, we just always want to be devoted to Scripture and, and continually reading it and just asking for the Lord to open up, you know, the eyes of our heart on it. Um, but um, uh, we, are, we are closing up in, uh, in Acts um, chapter 26, and I, and I will let you know, I'm just like you. I work, you know, here at the church as a pastor. Sometimes sermons will come to you real early in the week on Monday, and that's really great because you feel good. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, the, the point kind of clarifies on Tuesday, and sometimes it gets to be Thursday, and you're like, where's the point here? Where's the point? And, uh, and I will let you know that... Um, but this was one of these weeks that I, um, I was wrestling with it, and uh, I'll just go ahead and say right off the bat that uh, I'll need you to be a better listener than I am a preacher this morning, and I'm thankful that the Spirit um, helps us un- understand the Scriptures more than, more than even sermons do. Um, but um, let's start off with a couple of good old kids' pictures from, uh, from the pastor, okay, right up there on the screen. Um, if you were to meet me, uh, a young, just half-Asian kid growing up in Albany, New York, uh, it'd be a hard, uh, small probability that you'd ever meet me not dressed up like somebody. Basically, between the ages of five until 21, because I still dress like Michael Jordan. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, from about five to 10, there was always some kind of a superhero, some kind of a, like cartoon character that, you know, I went to go see the movie, and I bought the soundtrack, and I got stirred up, and I didn't just want to watch that thing. Like, I wanted to be that thing. Anybody with me? And so just a couple of... Uh, Pictures. That's Grandpa Joe there um, with the Leonardo mask on. I didn't have any like particular villain profile for him to wear that that day. But me on the right, that was Zorro. If you guys ever watched that, uh, five o'clock Zorro swooping Z's uh, through people's clothing. That was me, Zorro. Uh, next slide is uh, is uh, the beginning. Heroes are made out of evolution. You know, like I didn't have my full. Superman costume yet, but I had a vision in my head, and so I settled for like a towel that was stuffed into the back of my shirt. Uh, next, next slide there. Now we uh, fully are in the 80s here with a couple of mullets and uh, a couple of pajamas, and those pajamas, um, you know, they sold them for $19.99, but you got a good wear and tear out of those things. Um, and if you notice, those are underwear that I put on uh, over the top of my pajamas uh, next to my cousin Kurt and his friend. Just three dudes hanging out. All right, next slide. Um, Grandpa, Grandpa Joe and Grandma Pat, sweet, sweet people. I finally had my cape, so I'm really growing into my muscles there. Next slide. See if there's anything else. The goat. There you go. That's, uh, that's how I knew I was going to like Michael Jordan right there because I was feeding goats from there. All right, next slide. Uh, I was just confused there. I was heading into Batman world, but not quite into uh, out of Superman life, so that was that. And then I think I got one more slide, Maurice, for me there. Uh, yeah, that's me growing back, thinking about the old days, right, of, uh, of Robin. And so I don't know who you dressed up as a kid. I don't know who you mimicked. Uh, oh, last one. Uh, Warren Beatty, Dick Tracy, anybody know? 
Man, if I knew that my 39-year-old self was going to have an Apple Watch that I could talk on, I would have been very happy with my, with my future. All right, I think that's it, Maurice. Thank you for bringing out the best one. Um, yeah, we, we are, you know, the Bible says we're images, which means we're, we're mirrors. Like, we're not icons. We are meant and made to reflect something, and inevitably, we do. We end up um, seeing the thing that we value the most. We see the life that we think is the most worthwhile of living, and we end up inevitably, you know, becoming what we behold, or we, we, we imitate what we're inspired by. Um, you know, you could spend time. We have some Irish cousins that'll come down, and it's amazing when Irish cousins come down, you start to Go up at the end of your sentence. At the, you know, are you going to the mall? And it's like, it's just, it's crazy that you could spend, you know, seven days with somebody and take an accent. Um, you know, uh, uh, I've known, my, Kyra has let me know, she sanctioned me to be the, uh, the, uh, the bangs preventer in, in my household. Like if Kyra sees a model with the right bangs in the wrong moment, she just might end up with bangs the next day. And she's blaming me if I don't prevent her from getting bangs because, we're, you know, we're, we're very much, you know, um, impacted. Even, even, uh, even commercialism knows that models can, can impact us. And, you, that whatever it is that you do, the things that you love, um, you're probably not just the copycat of just one person, but the way that we work, right, and save our money and how you pick your clothes and how you speak to your kids, like, they really are the amalgamation. They're not just the origin of something like we are imitating somebody. Like, all of the little things that we do are probably in some ways finding the best possible answer for this problem and finding the best possible model for this um, part of life and finding the best you know, image to copy and reflecting that image. Because again, we're not icons, we're images. We're meant to reflect. We're meant to become something that we value and that we see as important. So um, I'm going to read to you um, a couple of, um, of uh, instances that I thought was really remarkable um, at the end of, uh, we're getting to the ends of, end of Acts here, by the way, as you're noticing, because there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And uh, I just want to read to you, I'm not going to have it on the screen, but a couple of um, a couple of mirror images that occur at the end of the book of Acts in the life of Paul and the end of the book of Luke in the life of Jesus. There's, some really, there's a really profound uh, overlap between the way that Jesus ended his life and then ultimately the way that Paul ended his life that I don't think is a coincidence. So I'm just going to read a couple of these. Um, both Paul and Jesus, by choice, made a decision to go back to Jerusalem the, the, most persecuted, the most persecuted place, the place that they were the least like, the place that they were most likely to get persecuted. Both Jesus and Paul made a decision at the end of their life, I'm going back there. That was a similarity. There's a similarity in the sense that um, both of them had circles around them telling them not to go back to Jerusalem, knowing what was going to happen to them when they went back there. For example, the disciples said, you know, like, you shouldn't go, you know, you shouldn't go back to Jerusalem. And, and um, you know, this, uh, in, in Luke 9, um, 52, 54, one of the disciples said, uh, after they were just preached to about the gospel and the, and the mercy of Jesus. Maybe we should call down fire from heaven. Don't go visit them. Let's call down fire from heaven and burn up Jerusalem instead. Same thing happens to Paul. He has to say to this group of people in Ephesus, why are you breaking my heart? Why are you telling me not to go to the place that God's called me to do, to be? Both of them end up being arrested um, in Jerusalem at the command of the high priest. Both of them are carried up like, you know, almost like mosh pits for Paul, but definitely like crowded around, um, in the case of Jesus, by Jewish mobs. Uh, both of them are taken to a Jewish court uh, where um, there was innocence found on the behalf of both Jesus and Paul. Both of them stood before a Roman governor. One was Pilate and the other one Ananias in the case of Paul that we'll read about today. Um, neither of them were able to find guilt either in the Jewish court or the Roman court. Both of them were scourged uh, or they were whipped without having proper proof of their guilt. Um, both of them defended the concept of the resurrection. Uh, both of them um, were held in custody for a long period of time. Both of them stood in front of the audience of a king at the end of Luke and the end of Acts. 
And uh, lastly, and ultimately, both of them willingly gave their life up for the gospel. And so, so here's a quick little riddle that I have for you just to get us going today. Uh, and that is this. Um, can I ask you this question? How is it that the Apostle Paul uh, lived out the life of Acts without ever reading the book of Luke? So the Apostle Paul, as I read to you, and this are only like you know, 10 or 11 instances, and there's probably way more if you get down to the nuances. The Apostle Paul lived a deja vu Jesus life. The end of his life was startlingly reminiscent, down to the detail of the way that Jesus ended his life was almost the same parallel and synonym for the way that Paul ended his life. I'm asking the question, how did Paul relive Jesus' life if he never read the story of Jesus' life? Right? And the answer is this. The answer is this. I think what Acts is trying to, I don't think it's an accident that he is, he is, he is telling the story and, and, and picking out the points of parallel between Paul's life and Jesus' life. Because he sees Paul's life not just as an imitation of Jesus' life, but as an incarnation of it. That he actually sees Paul's life as not as, as, as a Simon Says copycat discipleship. That he saw what Jesus did and just said, I guess I'm just going to do what Jesus did. No, that the life that was in Jesus crawled into Paul's life and actually reenacted itself through the years. That the, that the life of Paul... The life of Paul was actually a reincarnation of the life of Jesus. And so I don't know if you ever like played that game before, right? Like if you were to re- reincarnated as another animal, like what would it be? Like as a kid, you know, like would you be reincarnated a frog or, or a pig or, or a goat or something like that, right? Um, obviously, the Bible doesn't teach about, you know, reincarnation in, in that right way. But maybe you played the game before. It's like if you came back to life, what if you came back to life as a rich man, you know, or as a poor man? It's kind of an interesting concept, or you, or you would you know, go to another country and you think, man, like, what if the stars align in a different way and I was born in Pakistan or I was born in China? Like, it's a pretty trippy idea to think about that. What, what the gospel is saying and what Acts is saying in the, in the area of, of Pentecost, when, when Jesus ascended and the Spirit ascended, what happened in that, in that transaction, in that exchange, when Jesus went up and the Spirit came down, is that Jesus began... Not to, not to die and go away and never come back, but Jesus began to relive his life over and over and over again in the days and weeks and months of the people in this room. Better that I would go, that you would do greater things. This is not the end but the beginning, that I will be with you to the ends of the earth, not just to imitate or to imagine or to be inspired by something Jesus did, but to actually see Jesus' life made deja vu in ours, to continually repeat to have to, that, that, that the scriptures are saying that Jesus had a Judas, but the scriptures are also saying, so will we. Jesus is saying that the scriptures are saying that Jesus had a Peter, but so will we. Jesus had Marthas and Marys and, 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 and Dorcas's in the book of Acts and Barnabas's and Saul's and so forth, but then so are we because Jesus' life is not something that started and ended. Jesus' life is something that started and continues in this room. So what is that saying about the definition of what a witness is, the beginning of this passage of Acts chapter 1-8, remember that the calling here is same spirit, same purpose, same places, to see the gospel everyone, to everyone everywhere, is that a witness is this up there on the screen. A witness in Acts is not just somebody retelling the Jesus story. Like in other words, if, if, if the definition of witness in our mind means go out to a stranger and convince them of a religious proof of something that, that existed in history, that is maybe not disincluded, but it's not the full culmination of what Acts is saying witness is. 
If we read the entire thing and see the life of Paul, particularly, we'll look at today, but a witness and act is not just retelling the story. It's doing what? It's actually reliving the entire story. That the incarnation is much deeper than Simon says. Then what, what did Jesus say? And, and, and what would Jesus do? Like the, the, the actual witness is to not just tell about the gospel, but to see it lived out in our day-to-day life, not just to be dressed up, but to be indwelling. The life of Jesus indwelling in us and living it out. So here we are, like, why a trial? Why a trial? Why are we ending in a trial? Well, it's because all good movies end in trials, right? To Kill a Mockingbird and, you know, uh, Big Daddy, I saw the other day. Um, uh, uh, the end of James Bond, uh, Skyfall, or one of those movies ends in a court case, because the court case is the microscope, right? It, it, really, um, it, it really gets down to the essence of that character, and it tells us the truth about that character, and that's, that's exactly what's going on with, with this little trial. And so what happens is you got Paul, and, and, and it takes Paul, much like Jesus, and puts him on the stand. And what happens with on the stand is that you take Paul out of the mission trip. You take the missionary out of the mission trip. And you take Paul, and you're asking him, what is he really about? And what's he really made of? He's not doing any miracles. He's not preaching any sermons. He's just standing on, on, the, on the trial to speak to what he believes is truth in the middle of a vacuum of it. And this is an important thing to us because if you think about it, Paul that showed up at the end of chapter 8 really just takes the center stage of the limelight and never leaves it past chapter 13 and on to 28. This story is about Paul, and this is the reason why. Because Paul, in his incarnation, really the living out of Jesus as we've been talking about this morning, is not just the exception, he's the norm. That, that, that to be a witness is to be like Paul, and to be like Paul is to be a witness. And the theme that we'll look at through, through, this, through this, therefore, is, is about the opening of, of eyes, to have our eyes open to be witnesses. So Acts 20, it says it this way. Uh, starting, I will just start in verse 4. He begins to give his defense. Now, mind you, this is the sixth time he's had to stand in defense. So the Bible really wants us to know about Paul's defense and his witness in the middle of scrutiny. Like, have you ever had the IRS come after you? You ever had somebody like, you know, you know, try to get into your mail and figure out the dirty laundry in your closet. It's not fun, right? When you get called to trial, you got to get your ducks in a row pretty quick, and you have to answer. And, and, and what we find is this blamelessness in Paul, okay? So he stands, and he gives uh, a defense. And so verse 4 says, you know, this is Paul speaking to Agrippa, the third uh, royalty guy that he's talking in front of, Festus, Felix, and now Agrippa. The Jewish people, he says, all know the way I lived uh, ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life, in my own country, and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, and I conform to the strictest sect of religion, living as a Pharisee. And now, and it's because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors, that I am now on trial today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes that they've been hoping for this whole time and earnestly serving God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope like it's not, like we talked about last week, it's not because ultimately the church isn't cool enough. It's not because the church isn't relevant enough. It's not because the church isn't justice-oriented enough. Like ultimately speaking, the reason why there will always be people that persecute and refuse and resist and criticize the church is not just because of the church. It's because there's an animosity towards Christ and towards the hope of resurrection. And then he says this question to Agrippa, because he's really kind of speaking to Agrippa. He's not really defending himself. He's appealing to Agrippa is really what Paul's up to, if you read between the lines. But verse 8 says, why should any of you, including you, Agrippa, consider it incredible that God raises people from the dead? I'm going to read uh, through verse 9. 
I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. I hated Jesus before I ever knew him, he says. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests. I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and, and, and uh, I put them to death, and I cast my vote against them. And many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So Paul does what you never do on the stand, especially under the Fifth Amendment, and he stands on trial for himself, and he pleads his guilt, right? That's why this guy should have hired a lawyer, because if you hire a lawyer, the number one thing you say, you don't say, is I'm guilty, right? But he stands up in front of this thing, because he has a different, like, ultimately, I think, agenda than defending himself. He stands up and says, you see these people that are really causing the issue, that the reason why we're gathered here today, they're, they're throwing riots, Right? This is why you really care about this. It's not because you read the Torah and you love God. It's because you don't want a riot on your hands, and this is becoming ugly. The real reason why we're here is because of riots. And the first thing out of my mouth that I want you to know is that before I'm standing you here today as Paul, my name was Saul. And the reason why I know my enemy, as I'm about to talk about them in a moment, the reason why I know my enemy so well is because before I was me, I was my own enemy. I was the enemy. I was those people. This is what he says in the earlier verses, right? I was a child of... These people, I grew up in the same town as them. I was the same sect. As a matter of fact, I was the Grand Pumbaa, the super Jew, the Jew of all Jews. I was a Pharisee until I met Jesus, right? So here's, here's what the Bible is saying. Super confrontational to us. But you got to realize, this is the climax of the movie. This is where Scar gets thrown off the cliff. This is where Darth Vader gets his arm chopped off. Like, this is the epitome of what this whole book is trying to say to us, okay? And it's Paul getting his ducks in a row and having to stand for himself and all of his life, apart from his miracles and his sermons, who he was to stand in front of us and stand in front of Agrippa to explain what made him tick as a person, okay? And he stands up and he, and he pleads his guilt. And here's what, what the scripture is saying. Is, what the scripture is saying is that the epitome of a witness is Paul. If you want to look at the blueprint, prototype, essence of what a witness is, like if this whole book that we've been reading, the whole point is that we might be made witnesses, that our eyes would be open to be made witnesses. If, if the prototype of a witness is Paul, then we have to understand that no Paul ever gets here without starting to be Saul. That ultimately speaking, before anybody knows God or sees God or follows God, they're an enemy of God. So this is, what, this is what you're thinking. You're thinking, gosh, that's harsh. Like I, you know, how long, I'm 39 years old. I can truly tell you I've never murdered anyone in my life, right? Like that's a pretty harsh indictment. Like the Bible is coming to tell us that the prototype of a witness is Paul, that if a Christian is a Christian, a Christian is a missionary, a Christian is like Paul, and Paul is the epitome and a, and a, and a prototype of a missionary, that, that the previous prior life of every Christian, of every Paul, is a Saul. And it's basically saying that Saul was a murderer, a persecutor, and a God-hater, okay? And you're thinking to yourself, I don't remember hating God. I mean, I thought he was boring, and I didn't like Sunday school, but I don't remember hating God, and I certainly can't remember. I'll have to go and ask my mom to see if there's any pictures of me out there killing any Christians, Right? I think I would remember that if I did, right? And so that's like a pretty heightened hyperbolic, you know, indictment of a, of, a, of a person if you're saying that every Christian is like Paul, every Christian is a missionary, and every Paul starts as a Saul, right? But here's what I think it, it's getting at, right? Okay, so not you, but somebody that you know and love really well. I want you to consider the person that you know and love really well. You know, you know him, and you've seen him, and you've seen them highs and lows, and the good times and the bad times, and the small secret moments and the big public moments, Right? And you've been along, along the ride for them for long enough that you realize that that person, along with pretty much every person that you know, has a blind and a secret sin. Amen? Everyone that you know, especially the ones that you know long enough, 
you're going to learn one thing, is that they have something that is incredibly detrimental and harmful to their spiritual, emotional, and, and sometimes even physical life, and they don't even know it. Right? Right? And not only that, is that there have been dozens and dozens and dozens of people trying to tell them that for years and years and years, and they're not listening to them. Like, it's not only like they accidentally were blurry in their eyes, they're walking around in life with their hands over their eyes because they don't want to see what's right in front of them. That they are the cause of all this turmoil and all of this wake that, that goes behind their life, right? Okay, and so here's, what's gonna, here's the question I have for you. If you were to take that person and you or somebody else were to address that person, I mean, not just the one thing that they think they get right and they'll confess in small group, like the thing that's really the problem, right? Most of the time, my experience, and probably your experience too, is not that they're going to accept what you have to say, but they're going to run as fast as they possibly can away from the truth of what you're trying to bring to them. Is that right or wrong out of 40 years of experience, right? That what, what is happening here, this is what Jesus says in terms of what hate is. Like he says, well, don't murder your brother and father. Remember what Jesus says on the, on the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you know, you know what's hate? Hate is any time you're driving down the road and you whisper raka under somebody else, under your breath towards somebody that's driving in front of you the way you don't want them to drive. Hate is just another word for contempt. You know what's worse than hate? It's just canceling somebody, right? And so this is, this is the indictment is that, is that here's what happens nine times out of 10 if you address anybody in their blind and secret sins is uh, they're not gonna turn around and kill you, but here's what they're also not gonna do. They're not gonna call you. They're gonna move on and they're gonna make another circle of friends that all agree and can cooperate with their own side of the story. And they're going to sit in that echo chamber long enough to prove that whatever it is that the person was trying to confront them with, right, with, um, was wrong ultimately, and they're, uh, they're, they're self-justified. Here's another one. If you, um, you know, if you are, are, are walking down, you know, the little, let's say, high school road, and you're in the cafeteria, and, you know, over here, you have just the model in the making. I mean, this person smells good. When you're around them, you just want to smell them more because they've got just abs you could wash like a t-shirt on. They look good. They're so funny, but just like a little bit self-deprecating and humble, and they've just got that great personality. You want to be associated with them, right? So you've got that table. And over here, you've got this other table, right? And it's that one classroom that you got to go down four hallways, and they're the one in the back of the people that you don't usually want to talk to or associate with. Where does nine times out of 10, where do people head to the right or to the left, do people go towards attractive people or ugly people? Or do they go towards strong people or weak people? Or do they go towards cool people and affluent people and rich people? Or do they go towards poor people? Nine times out of ten, about ten times out of ten, we're going toward the table on my right, right? Because, because when we are approached, when Jesus says, when you visited me in prison, when you, when you served the poor, when you brought the, the, the cup of the least, when we have the choice between the power of man and the power of God, we choose the power of man every time. Because when we're born, we're not born friends of Jesus. We're born hating and avoiding and running from Jesus is, is what's going on. And so, so the theology here is not so much that God is super, super picky and stringent and he's an IRS agent and he's picking on that one time when he calls all of us sinners that we rolled our eyes about going to church. It's not that God is really, 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 really picky and really, really, really holy, which he is for sure. Don't, don't get me wrong. But theology here is, is, is not just that he's really, really holy and really, really picky. It's that we are really, really, really blind. And that we don't see all of the massacre and, and all of the bloodletting and all of the gossiping and slandering and, and the, the hurtfulness that goes on in the wake of our lives. And, and we continue to run and run and run and find friends and circles and echoes that can cooperate the story that we want. This is what it's saying about Saul's 
before we get into the life of Paul. So the encounter happens on verse 12, and he says, on one of these journeys, a journey is like a long path of life in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He says, I was going down this place in Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief chief priests, and about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light flashing from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so what he's saying is the thing that you're not supposed to say on trial, right? Like, I was guilty. Like, I will point to the person in this crowd who's guilty. It's actually all of us. It's this crowd, and it's you, and it's me. I'm pleading my guilt. I'm not pleading the fifth. And I'm not innocent even of my own blood. Before I was the man that I am, I was my own worst enemy. I was the enemy, is what he's saying. And so he's saying, but all of that changed when I encounter with God. When I encounter with Jesus, everything changed. I went through a summer, and I just could not put this book down, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Have you read The Ragamuffin Gospel by, um, by uh, Brendan Manning? And it's a book of a Franciscan priest who kind of writes his testimony as well as just his journey with Jesus and his personal transformation. He actually has recently gone on to, to go with the Lord, and I don't ever think he really even overcame his struggle with alcoholism and, um, and some of the trauma and the pain that came before it and after. And so it's a, it's a wonderful book just about the power of God and the love of God to meet us wherever we are, broken people, of ragamuffin people just like us. Like, that's really what the gospel is. And it was just so important for me, I think, at 20 and 21 to read it. But I just want to pick this one little excerpt of this story that he, that he told um, that's always stuck with me. And basically, it's, it's a testimony of this time that he was sitting in an AA meeting. And there's this guy named Max. And uh, by the end of this testimony, Max um, uh, maybe wasn't able to put the word Jesus on his mouth, but was definitely encountering the power and the grace of Jesus in this, in this little meeting. And so it's a longer rendition. I'll just read the very end of it. But basically, it's just a rendition of the, the, the AA leader kind of asking Max about his, about his drinking habits. And, and, and Max is trying to explain why he does drink a little bit and from here and there in tough times, but it's not out of control, that he's ultimately in control of his substance. And so, so it all comes down to this thing, and Max is talking about, you know, the eight you know, glasses of, of whiskey that he has, you know, through the day and what times of day it is. And, and, he, and he goes on, he talks about his family and his kids and how he went to college trips with them and how he's excited about their future until, until the, the leader kind of um, gets a little bit deeper into Max's story. And, uh, and, and the book says this, a soft voice filled the room. Yes, I can tell you the whole thing. It seems like it just happened yesterday. Our daughter, Debbie, wanted a pair of, uh, of earth shoes for a Christmas present. So um, what happened is, is that um, the guy that was leading the, the meeting knew Max's story more than Max was letting on because he had spoken to his wife. And so in front of everybody, he decides to call the wife and put the wife on speakerphone. And the wife comes on, on speakerphone in the voice that, that just said, you know, our daughter Debbie, she wanted a pair of earth shoes for a Christmas present. On, on the afternoon of December 24th, my husband drove her downtown, gave her $60, and told her to buy the best pair of shoes in the store. That is exactly what she did. When she climbed back into the pickup truck her father was driving, she kissed him on the cheek and told him he was the best daddy in the whole world. Max was preening himself like a peacock and decided to celebrate it on the way home. He stopped the cork and bottle, that's a tavern a few miles from our house, and told Debbie he would be right out. It was a clear and extremely cold day, about 12 degrees above zero, so Max left the motor running and locked doors from the outside so no one could get in. It was a little after three in the afternoon. Silence. Yes? The sound of heavy breathing crossed the recreation room. Her voice grew faint. 
She was crying. My husband met some old army buddies in the tavern. Swept up in the euphoria over the reunion, he lost track of time, purpose, and everything else. He came out of the cork and bottle at midnight, and he was drunk. The motor had stopped running, the car windows were frozen shut, and Debbie was badly frostbitten on both ears and on her fingers. When we got her to the hospital, the doctors had to operate. They amputated the thumb and the forefinger of her right hand. She will be deaf for the rest of her life. Max appeared to be having a coronary. He struggled, this is him in the, in the room, he struggled to his feet making jerky, uncoordinated movements. His glasses flew to the right and his pipe to the left, and he collapsed on all fours and sobbed hysterically. Later that same day, Max pleaded for um, and obtained permission to continue treatment. He proceeded to undergo the most striking personality change he'd ever, I'd ever witnessed. He got honest, he became more open, sincere, vulnerable, and affectionate than any man in the group. Tough love had made him real, and the truth had set him free. The denom—that's a new word for me—denomiant of this story, the moral, I suppose. The night before Max completed treatment, Fred passed by his room. The door was ajar, and Max was sitting at his desk reading a novel entitled um, "Worship Down." Fred knocked and entered. For several moments, Max stared at the book. When he looked up, his cheeks were streaking with tears. Fred, he said hoarsely, "I just prayed." For the first time in life, Max was on the road to knowing God. So, so Paul does what he's not supposed to do, and he, he pleads his guilt. And he says, really, we're all on stand. I mean, I've got this one little piece of wood that I'm standing on, but really, before God, we're all on this trial. And I'm just trying to tell you, Agrippa, like with all of my experience and all my life, like I'm, I'm not pleading my innocence today. I'm pleading my guilt. But before I was a follower of Jesus, I was his enemy. Before, before I was a Christian, I was an enemy even of, of myself. And, and he said, but everything changed. Everything changed for me. And it wasn't a set of rules and regulations. It wasn't um, a, um, a big um, uh, commitment at the beginning of, of 2023, what Paul is saying. He's saying, what happened to me is I met Jesus and everything changed because I met Jesus. And there's a lot of people um, that either for profit or gain or even for self-promotion you know, promotion and, and peace would say that they met God, you know? And it's interesting to hear as you hear different religions or different people in their own experience when they would go up on the top of a mountain or come to the end of a trial and they would say they would meet God. It's, it's interesting to hear the differences and the distinctions of what they would say. Some people might say, well, I met God and, and now I know that God is a God of power because he's given me control back over my life. Or maybe um, some of even our theology um, or the way that we think about when we think about God would say that I met God and now I know that God is going to bless me and give me everything that I want in all my wildest dreams. But what Paul is saying is neither of those things. Paul is saying that I met God, and I met God in the truth, and I met God in the love um, uh, of, of, of his son, of his son Jesus. And so I think that Max in this story would ultimately agree with Paul, and that ultimately God is not meeting us to promote his people for some kind of uh, existential power or, or to give people... Um, health and wealth, you know, that some of the theologies and gods that we make on our own image, but God is to meet us in a place of truth and love. This is the quote um, that strikes me about, you know, this passage in, in Little Testimony from Tim Keller. He says, Tim Keller talks about knowing Jesus this way. He says, to be loved and not to be comforted is superficial, but to be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known and truly loved, well, that is a lot like meeting God. 
that there's really two kinds of people in this world, Brennan Manning would say. There's people that believe they can't be saved, and then there's people that believe that they don't need to be saved. And one of them is running from the truth to go and get love, to hide, to spin, to retell the narrative, to redefine God in their own image, to run away from the truth as fast as they can, to tell the story like, these are the kids that I took to college, but forgetting about the story about the girl that I abused in my, in my life. But the other one is just as bad, living in a lie, is running towards the truth, thinking that love is just a fairy tale, that love is, is just a myth. And what Keller is saying is that at the intersection of those two places, the place where truth and love meet is where humans will find God. It's where humans will find Christ and find Jesus. And this is the Jesus that Paul is preaching to Agrippa in this day, and really, really to us, is that at that intersection of truth and love is where we ultimately meet Jesus. I remember that summer reading that. I mean, obviously, I've, I've, never, I've never struggled with alcohol. And at that time, I never had any kids and never could even know the pain that, and agony that Max must have been you know, walking through as a true testimony story. But I do know what it's like you know, to run and hide, to have you know, the pride, the breath of pride on my lips towards a brother or sister or even today towards my spouse or to my, towards my kids and how quickly I need to package that up and rephrase that when I get into the group of community around me or the friends around me. Or, um, or to, to, to know um, just the deep um, ache of fear and shame of coming into a space of wanting to be known and loved and to, to do well by others and to be thought well of others. The, the yoke that, that we travel with and carry with over 20 years or 30 years or 40 years to finally come into that place of knowing and meeting Jesus of truth finding itself in love and love finding itself in truth is a thing that would change, change us deeply, not just superficially. And so this is, the, this is the gospel that Paul is preaching to Agrippa, and then he kind of turns towards him in almost an invitation. But in verse 15, he says this, Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand to your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you. So here's an interesting thing is that Right, like it's 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 actually embodying the Superman, Robin, Batman, Dick Tracy instinct in us is that we really truly are to become what it is that we value most. And this vision that Paul is seeing was not just for his awe and shock and wonder, and for some Netflix special. It was for his appointment. It was to change everything after that Damascus road. It was going to change him deeply from the inside out, not just to be an imitator to dress up, but to have an indwelling spirit inside of him to come alive. And change him. And so you're going to see both the repentance and the reliving narrative in Paul's life from here on out. You are going to be a servant and a witness, says God, of what you have seen in me. And verse 17 says, I will rescue you from your own people and I will send you to open up their eyes. You will move them from darkness and into light, from the power of Satan and into God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins, but also walk in faith in me. Verse 19 says, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and to the Gentiles. I preached that people should repent, turn to God, and show their repentance through their deeds. Verse 21, that is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses would ha uh, said would happen that the Messiah would suffer. But then look what it says, that 
when Jesus suffers and dies, that ultimately he doesn't stay there, that he actually continues to live, but he doesn't live in his frame as a human. He lives through the church. Look at what it says. And as the first rise from the dead would bring the message of his light to the people of the Gentiles, that Jesus never brought the message of the Gentiles, this verse, because that's what the church did and that's what the church is doing. And so, and so this, is, this is, I think, in an in, in American Protestant worldview, um, sometimes a hard thing to grapple with because our movement, our, our denomination, our church tradition comes out of uh, you know, an anti-Catholic response. Like the reason why the Protestant faith exists is because people were trying to sell salvation. And for the record, you know, City Lights does not stand for selling salvation, nor should the church of, of, any, uh, of, 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 of Jesus Christ in any place, right? But the baby and the bathwater here, right, is that, is that the, the message that's preached and the obedience to the vision that Paul saw that changed him from Saul to Paul is not just the repenting, but the reliving of Jesus, it is, not just, it is just not replacement theology without victory theology. It's, it's, it's not just the belief that God will um, cover me until I get to the pearly gates, but God is um, ultimately calling me to relive who he was on this earth to continue what he started back in Acts chapter 1 and onwards into 2023 and on and on and on. And so this is a really interesting thing. It all, the fulcrum of the thing really lines up with um, verse 19 Everything that Paul was on the stand came from that moment on Damascus. Every Paul comes from a Saul, and every Saul ultimately is moving forward from that moment in Damascus. And, and, and so, and so what, he, what he's saying in, in verse 19 is, the reason I live is I had to be obedient to the vision. What does that mean? What does that mean to be obedient to the vision? What does that mean when you see something so striking, so compelling, so deep, so meaningful, that it changes Everything after you saw the vision, that everything that was true about you before the vision changes is altered irrevocably going forward, not just to repent, but to relive who he is on this earth. Did you guys ever see Napoleon Dynamite before? Do you remember when uh, that funny little guy with the mustache is sitting there in the hot tub, Uncle Rico? And Uncle Rico, you know, he has that, that look in his eye, like the look that you know, a lot of your uncles have you know, in their eye, like when they think about back in high school. Remember what Uncle Rico says in the, in the hot tub? He says, uh, man, back in high school, you used to be able to throw a football a quarter mile. He says, no doubt in my mind, man, the coverage would have been different. Man, I would have been sitting right here soaking it up with, with my soulmate in the hot tub, is what Uncle Rico says. We would have gone state, no doubt in my mind, right? Here's, here's what I think the answer is. I think the answer is... Um, we are all, whether we're Christian alike or obedient or not, we are all reliving the most important moment in our life, whether we like it or not, right? Whether or not um, it is um, a period in high school when you were not at the right table and uh, you were not accepted and you were not approved of and you or me could potentially, and you've seen yourself and other people in your life, Relive that moment over and over and over again at the gym, working out, with the right clothes on, with the right friends, with the right people. We have all sat in that place where dad, no matter how hard we tried, would never uh, recognize um, the celebrations that were going on in our life and only sat to criticize us. 
And whether we want it or not, know it or not, like it enough, we do and will relive continually that most important moment in our life until we find a moment that we feel is more important than that. It could be a, a, a football game that went bad, like Uncle Rico, and we will cause our kids to try and reshape them and, 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 and create armor and shells around them, around their hearts and their minds and actions, so they would never have to relive what we relived because no, whether we like it or not, we are all reliving the most important moment in our life. It just depends on what do you consider the most important moment of your life. And so this is, I think, what's going on for Paul is he's saying, this is the most important of my life, that my, that my finding Jesus led to my calling, that, that this thing is so important that it's, it's going to be relived over and over and over until it becomes Jesus' deja vu. I met a, a, a girl at the Chick-fil-A parking lot who was part of my youth group. Man, there's never a happier moment, I think, than a kid that meets you that used to be in your youth group, and you went through youth group, and you thought that kid hated you. You were like, all you did was text on a little T9 calculator back there, and you never listened. And they come up, they're like, Oliver, remember when we were best friends? And how, like, I loved you and you loved me? And I was like, well, I mean, you could tell the story however you want, but I didn't think that you loved me that much, you know? This girl was a tough one. She um, was a girl from Eastern Europe, and she was adopted into a home. And she was just kind of finding her way. She's about 13 years old, and she's coming up in youth group, and she apparently loved youth group more than I thought she loved youth group. And she's standing there in front of me at Chick-fil-A with her grin just like wide open. And she's just saying to me, man, I love youth group. And she's saying, you know, um, I want you to know that, um, that uh, I just got my certificate to um, help foster kids. And I'm going to start an orphanage right here in Greenville, South Carolina, for people that are in foster care that need a place to live. And, and that's part of my story. And, and youth group was part of that story. I know people that have been through deep spiritual and physical emotional abuse that have had to make a decision, right? At that place of suffering, you have to make a decision either towards resentment or bitterness or towards forgiveness in the cross. And that moment, that decision, that Damascus moment, I know people that have experienced that deep trauma. And now, what does it mean to be obedient to the vision that they have gone through training to be counselors for people, to become the one they wish they would have had in their life, right? To become the one, to become the person that they wish they could be by the power of the Holy Spirit and to be the person that they needed themselves to be this is what I think it means to relive the moments in light of the gospel. And so I'll kind of close up to, the, to, this, to this last question, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to read the last part of the passage and get into this last potential question. But verse 24 says this, at this point, Festus interrupted Pilate's defense. He says, you're out of your, you're out of your mind. Nobody thinks this way, Paul. This, is, this, is, this doesn't add up. Paul, Paul shouts, or he shouts to Paul, great lear- your great learning has driven you to be insane. Verse 25 says, I'm not insane. Matter of fact, I'm thinking clearer than I ever have before. What I'm saying is true, and it's reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. Here's the, here's the gauntlet. We are actually Felix in the story. I mean, to have an internet and to drive a Honda Pilot and have four iPhones in your house, like, we're kings. And we're looking in, right, of this guy's testimony, and we're asked to, to look at this vision because a witness can't witness that they can't see. And so the Bible is putting up Paul as this witness, and he's saying, I'm thinking clearer than, than, than anybody in here. You're the one that's confused, Agrippa. So verse 28, then Agrippa says to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to, to be a Christian? Some people have a Damascus road encounter. It happens in 10 seconds. Some people, it takes 30 years. But short or long, he says, make no doubt about it. I'm not going to mince any words with you. I pray that God would make you everything that I am today. I pray that you would not just see this and be inspired, but you would actually be transformed from the inside to relive the gospel in your everyday life, except for these chains. And here's what I think is important about those last words, except for these chains. 
It's because ultimately the obedience to follow Jesus and to respond and be obedient to the vision is always an offering and never an obligation. Ultimately, we have a decision. And from that Damascus road, God has made a covenant vow with us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And we can live pitily mundane lives that are removed from our calling and not obedient to the vision that we have completely on option. Remember, God never told Paul to go to Jerusalem to get persecuted. He made that decision for himself. He says in one of his letters, I offer as a drink offering day by day. Jesus says to, to us and his disciples, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down myself. It is an opportunity to offer and to become a witness. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.